to another episode of the Roycast, the Internet's first succession podcast. My name is Brendan. I am joined, as I am every week, by my co-hosts, Kate. Hey, friends. And Gabby. Hey, hey, motherfuckers. (laughs) We're back for episode nine, DC, and we have a special guest this week, freelance critic and TV encyclopedia, Brandon Nowak. Hello, Brandon. Hi, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Welcome. Brendan, I was uh, I was I was keen to get you on this episode because we knew we were going to be doing this sort of thick of it inquiry territory, and I knew you was a a thick of it head from way back. Um, so I'm pleased we get to chat about this. Oh yeah, me too. I was see, I thought it was going to be pretty thick of it too from the trailer, but I actually thought the uh, actually I take that back. I was going to say it felt less thick of it to me in uh, you know the actual inquiry doesn't take up the whole episode that kind of thing. But there was there was a lot of like think of it style comedy from like peanut gallery one liners that kind of thing. Yeah, I had actually just watched the Golden Inquiry um, season four episode six of the thick of it to prepare like right before. So Brent Brandon, I was like in the same frame of mind, like thinking it was going to be the whole episode, etc. But yeah, there were definitely some thick of it esque moments. Um, the protesters again. Um, and some other just, you know, one-liners and basically the mall being exposed as, like, self-interested. Oh, yeah. Uh, egomania, you know, like, yeah. So I, I definitely felt like we got that That seems huge too. to me. This That seems huge to me this season, this element of, like, y'all brought it up about what Vikram said about um, comparing it to The Sopranos episode, Second Opinion, where... Carmela goes to a psychiatrist and or a therapist, and they tell her, uh, you know, you can't tell, you can't say you weren't told anymore. That seems huge to me this season on Succession, where all kinds of people are like, you know, it's there's no longer plausible deniability for a lot yeah. of these people's like mm-hmm. dirt. <laughs> Even though they may try to feign it, like Raya does later in the episode. Oh yeah. But you're totally yeah. Everyone, everyone knows. Everybody knows. There's there's the song for this episode. Um, yeah, this episode for me is a lot like yeah, like the veil being ripped off. Right. This is the episode where it's like the brutality and the depravity mm-hmm. of what these people represent is foregrounded. You know, like Roman really comes face to face with like you know what the world really is in this mm-hmm. episode, um, or almost does. <laughs> he gets to stay inside the hotel, luckily, uh, but he but he gets very close. And this episode is all about this idea of, you know, the trap, the cage, this metaphor we've used on the show before, and, you know, what lies outside it in these people battling to keep those walls up, and about the language they use basically to separate themselves from the exploitation and the depravity that they're responsible for. And although this is another episode that's very plotty, has a lot of business going on, and I've, I've kind of struggled with the second half of this season, even when, you know, there's, there's scenes and moments that I think are really well done. I've felt like the episodes on the whole haven't been shaped as well as they were in the first half of the season. Um, mm-hmm. This episode, I feel like, pulls off quite a bit, um, you know, in terms of discrete moments that are, are really impressive. And like I said, I think that sort of overriding image of this, this, this the, the wealth trap of the gilded cage carries through in some really evocative and interesting ways in this episode. 
Yeah, I had a, a difficult time wrapping my brain around it. I loved it. It was great. And uh, there were some really powerful scenes, but it definitely took a few rewatches for me to like get out of my head and my feeling and, and stuff and more to like some analysis type moments. But Yeah, I agree. Even just the way that the episode felt as a viewer was kind of different from other episodes in that they were so quickly going back and forth between the hearings in DC to these two other sort of electrifying plot lines with uh, Roman and the uncertainty of whatever the hell was going on there. And then, of course, um, you know, Shiv's very powerful scene at the end with the victim, uh, like watching it um, was was definitely like there was a more frenetic energy to it that that I really liked that felt kind of different from um, the way the show has been um, develop uh, the way the episodes have have unfolded and developed yeah i thought it was really interesting how um you know there's this it's it's kind of like an all hands on deck crisis where mm-hmm. everyone's involved in this in this uh i guess crisis of the week or whatever and then everyone's dispatched to do their different putting out different fires or trying to get a different lifeline to bring in i thought that was really interesting yeah just yeah. The they left certain things lingering like the way that Ro- they would cut Robin. off the co- a courtroom scene um you know on a very like high climactic point and then pan back to roman and whatever you know all, all the chaos going on in, in that ordeal um it was very fun to watch but yeah it did take some time to um you know sort of i think process some of the the larger themes and and, um, the idea of this episode really focusing on victims, which is something that we have um, talked about that the show, you know, is the project of the show is to center the perpetrators and we don't get a whole lot of of the other side of it. But, um, you know, we've gotten some this season with Ken's return. Um, but this felt very important as it spoke to sort of the, the structural issues um, and, um, you know, tragedies that, that have occurred at the hands of Waystar and the Roys. Yeah, I agree that there's a, there's, there's a certain frenetic, you might say, energy to this episode, because what it really is is this battle for survival, right? This feeling that there's a real imminent threat for the first time. And the episode opens with this image that we've talked about, uh, we talked about last week of... Logan walking through the park, stalked from behind by Colin, who is this figure <laughs> yeah. like a who's this figure like a vulture, right? This figure that represents death and doom, um, and is always at his master's side like a shadow, um, which is just yeah, a very ominous image to start the episode, and then it immediately goes to back to Logan's penthouse where they're watching like it's the Super Bowl, the <laughs> uh, the test or the uh, TV special with the revelations of the weasel the bright star cruises whistleblower who names and shames uh uh, kendall jerry and tom among others uh, on tv and everybody's just like jeering and hooting and making shitty jokes and it, it really is it really evokes the feeling of just being in like you know watching tv with your family and just wishing they would like shut up and let you watch the sto- watch your stories or just honestly being in a room full of a bunch of obnoxious guys who are all trying to out riff each other and failing it's like listening to a podcast yeah and tom and greg completely overcompensating just was hilarious yeah Um, does logan does logan speak until he like leaves the room and sends roman oh yeah he does because he uh because he he uh he says uh he says who's backing you weasel right 
Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And then he uh, okay. he gets up because he's like, I can't watch any more of this. And I think Roman's like, shouldn't 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 we watch it? He's like, I've got people paid to watch it. And then there's that brilliant smash yeah. cut to the yes. other room full of uh, PR execs all yeah, like talk hearing about... Logan shouting and like taking notes. Talk I about also... the thick of it influence there with that the camera work, the, like or the editing, I should say. A lot there's of thick of it really cuts like that this week. Edits in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. other big one is in the uh, in the testimony scene, which we won't get to yet. I thought it was really funny that the everyone in the initial viewing room are all men and they're having like the fratty response uh. to this serious shiv's not even there you know yeah, which and, also and frank is there too it's all family plus frank right and and so yeah and it's like like it anyways just seeing the men respond and having zero you know empathy and empathy yeah. it, it's just you know again striking well, there's that there's that great exchange where they get in the room and everybody's like, so bad, yeah, bad, but not that bad. <laughs> well, it's pretty bad. I agree, bad, yeah, obviously bad. I'm just saying, you know, it's not not that bad. And Hugo's like, well, I don't want anybody to downplay how bad it is. Hugo um, had a great episode. Trying... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm so he... glad he's here, man. I love Fisher Stevens. Oh man, he was so funny uh, throughout the episode. Um... Yeah, so they're watching and and um, they're sort of going down the line of uh, succession for the Bright Star Cruise division, starting with Lester. Then they bring up Jerry, then they bring up Bill, then they bring up Kendall, and finally Tom. Um, it was funny to see the reactions, <laughs> like you said, like they're all cheering when they hear the names, like Jerry. Oh yeah, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kendall. Tom holds then- out his. Yeah, but I think I think the the most striking and, and difficult part of um, of that scene was the um, for me it was the idea of the NRPI, mm-hmm. no real person involved, which was yep. um, it's a very very significant term when it comes to sort of a bird's eye view of of the Roy's and and this whole ecosystem. But um, basically, NRPI refers to um, they say either a sex worker or a migrant worker, not involving a guest or a permanent member of staff. Um, and these are the kinds of people who were largely the victims um, of this cover-up. Um, and, and I noticed oh, they yeah. pan, pan to Kendall a couple of times in this scene where he's visibly uncomfortable with the language around mm-hmm. this, reminding him you know, of his sin, um, which they've done a couple times throughout the season, just very subtly, um, to remind us that Kendall is still grappling with this. Um, with yeah, a there's secret. a there's a cut right from the journalist saying like repeating no real person involved after they've defined it to Kendall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Stewing. Yeah, the he other thing just looks uncomfortable. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up about this is um, all season they've been, you know, there's the term real no real person involved. Um, what's real has been like a running theme of the season in terms of like Logan determining what reality is. Yeah. If you remember in the very first episode of this season, when Logan is meeting with Shiv, mm-hmm. he says like, he's all cheery or as cheery as Logan can be. And he's like, this is wonderful, Siobhan. And she is like broken because she has no frame of reference. And she's mm-hmm. like, this is real. And he says, this is real. Remember this. And that's the kind of thing that keeps repeating. Like when Walter Lawrence is like, so this is real from Logan. And so when it came up again, no real person involved. Mm, it just yep. it made me think about how like Waystar determines what reality is, and, and Logan specifically. 
Oh, yeah. Like back in the finale, the way that, um, you know, he bumps the waiter and says, you know, I never want to see that guy again. Like he wishes him out of existence. Oh, yeah. You know, like he wishes him into the cornfield. Which they're talking about doing all episode. That's another thing. They keep like, it feels like there's uh, throughout this this episode, there's like different groups of people sort of agreeing to kill in their terms to kill someone, which is really interesting. Very <laughs> yeah, part yeah, of the Sopranos yeah. influence. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, the euphemisms they're using are syncing up uncomfortably with the reality. <laughs> right, yes. and it's it's an interesting contrast from. I know we 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 like to do this, and maybe we uh, do it a little bit overkill. But going back to season one, and for comparing episode nine prenuptial in that episode, um, the kids, particularly Shiv and Ken, are trying to kill Logan. Um, but you know, we they've been brought to heal in various ways and in this episode they are doing killing on behalf of logan yeah also um contrast and again we probably do this too much but of course so i was thinking of episode nine last season prenuptial but um you know in in that episode all of the kids kind of have a failing moment um and their weaknesses are exposed yeah yeah, you know, and in this episode, they actually each get a chance to shine in their own way. Right. Um, huh, yeah. Yeah, even Connor yeah. meets his fan club. <laughs> yes! True. Oh, and he, he is- has so many great reactions that oh, yeah. are so fun. The fist pump and fuck yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it was so a really funny. interesting opportunity for us to see the kids' strengths at play um, in, in these various plot lines, which we'll get to, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of, there was, a, a, there's sort of an unease lingering at the end of the episode where even oh. though it seems like everything has sort of been wrapped up, all these um, sort of wild plot lines and unforeseen events, um, you know, even Logan is sort of reflecting on it and says that he knows that it's not over. Um, you know, he's been lightly threatened by Bill. Um he doesn't think that Kendall's testimony, while it, it seemed effective, um, will be resonant for the, um, will resonate among the, the shareholders. And, and so there's this um, sense of doom, even though it does feel in this episode like everybody got an assignment and did well. Well, except for Tom. Tom got a B plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, from Tom. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Bad plus terrible. Well, let's, 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 but the let's, kids, let's hold the off kids a bit well. on, on get, Yeah, let's hold off a bit on getting to to Tom. Um, and yeah, I don't. There's 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 something I want to. I, I feel like we've already brought it in slightly. So I just want I just want to push this door open a crack because I don't want to let this kind of overtake the episode. But the you know there's there's a this this episode really invokes a lot of things that are just like in the air without really putting too fine a point on them so i don't want to put too fine a point on them either but i mean the big thing that just hangs over this whole episode for me in so many ways is uh the kavanaugh hearings it's uh you know we talked about you know just like the fratty atmosphere of the guys um you know riffing on that tv presentation and you know so much of just like you know fratty boys will be boys you know culture is invoked in those hearings, you know, without really, you know, again, putting, putting too fine a point on it, you know, the, the invocation of Tom's 
sort of hazing style abuse of his underlings, especially in particular Greg. Um, you know, the idea that Kendall's, you know, petulance and his um, defiance in that hearing is what's really important. Um, I mean, all just kind of hmm. evokes that whole, specifically that whole affair to me. Um, and I think it, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really the thing that this, that this episode ends up being kind of a, a referendum on in a, in a strange way. But we can, uh, sure. we can come back to that. Um, that totally rings true to me. The other thing that I thought of, though, or what I thought of in the moment anyway, was the, like with the 60 Minutes opening was uh, the Stormy Daniels interview and then bringing her. Didn't they try to subpoena her or have a congressional hearing about that? Oh, I don't remember if they did. Did they? Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't. But the 60 Minutes element. Oh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, no, that that's, yeah, I uh, that. yeah. makes sense to me. And yeah, it's good then... because they don't they don't belabor anything or, or may hit to um, you know like we've talked about the show is not the newsroom they're not really pulling things from the headlines <laughs> but absolutely the the broader themes around language and dissent and um, yeah the sort of frat boy ethos um, suffused the episode and it, it definitely you know brought back um, that wretched memory of the Kavanaugh hearings and not to belabor it, but just in general, like the NRPI with like the Epstein victims, which came out mm. for the most part afterwards. But, you know, he recruited mostly poor, um, a lot mm -hmm. of times from countries, um, you know, that aren't doing so great. I don't the phrasing there. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> and just this idea, again, that the elite, you know, I mean, sure, this is this is. Um, the Roy's this is Waystar Royco but this happens in the real world and it, so it's it's it was kind of nice to get that grounding I guess a little bit if if you're able to take yourself out of it but um yeah and how these people's lives just don't matter outside of to to these people right yeah we'll get into more of the specifics of just how all that is evoked in the episode but yeah the the second big plot line in this episode is the errand that Roman is sent on. Uh, Logan pulls Roman aside after it becomes clear that, you know, they're going to have to go to Washington, they're going to have to testify, and that, that poses a very big problem, of course, for this already quite problematic takeover bid, and the notion that shareholder confidence is going to be even more shaken in Logan, and people are going to be even more looking for fresh faces new leadership so what logan asks roman to do is to use his people skills you know because uh, he says you know people do like you and fly out to see edward and what does he say like you you play the knuckle fuck or something yeah yeah he <laughs> yeah. says people you like act you. the knuckle fuck but you know what people like you or the fuck yeah. knuckle. I'm sorry. The fuck yes. knuckle. Fuck knuckle. Yeah. There you go. It's a it's a it's a very David Simon curse. Um, but True. he uh, yeah. But so his his errand is to go fly out to Edward and make a make a pitch uh, to to for them to inject some capital in the company and take them private, which would obviously take them out of uh, the threat of takeover and give them a bit of relief from public pressure because there's less public pressure if you're not a public company. So uh, that's the errand that Roman sets off on uh, along with Carl and Laird. Yeah, I was pleased to see Roman getting the recognition, I think, that I've kind of 
we've discussed even in season one, you know, that he is good with people. He's uh, disarming. He knows how to kind of relate to them. And um, so I was pleased to see his father see that as well. I mean, if you do take his father at his word. Uh, and it was also really sweet to see Roman's initial like self, like crippling self-doubt. Like, are you sure that I'm the right guy for this? Like, I can say I can do it like a firefighter in the movies or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, great, great line. I was trying to think yeah. of what movies. <laughs> <laughs> Backdraft. Yeah, Ladder 49. Yeah. <laughs> and then his dad being encouraging. I always love to see that, too, as you guys know. Shocking. You well, can do it. You feel Well, you feel Robin's need there, right? You feel that for mm-hmm. him. Um, and, you know, I think Logan is authentic in the sense that he's authentically vulnerable. Like, he he really does need, need Roman to uh, uh, throw a Hail Mary for them and save the company. Um, unlikely as it is that it ends up uh, that they're pinning all their hopes on Roman. Um, but, yeah, my God, uh, that, but... that scream from Logan, if we can just, like, mention that really quickly. Mm. That oh, agonizing yeah. scream. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly not doing well. We've talked about it throughout this season that you know it's it's surfaced his ongoing health problems and and some of the symptoms and and side effects of the medications he might be on they discussed early on in the season but that that scream where um he really just seems out of control and and um tasks the kids with coming in to to sort of help him and and save him from you know these uh very very doom and gloom prospects and um yeah, it was it was interesting to see um, the kids sort of uh, play to their strengths, and yeah, it was nice to see Roman, uh, you know, sort of earn back some goodwill with Dad, and um, you know, he seems to be in a better place with him with himself than he was a few episodes ago and earlier in the season. Um, he speaks honestly to his dad about the uh, idea that you know there's clearly apparent marital issues with Marsha and does he need somebody to talk to implying that he should talk to a therapist of course Logan you know rejects (laughs) the idea outright um but it is sort of something that that we probably wouldn't have seen from Roman a few episodes ago yeah he's he's going through some growth you know he's he's more confident he went through management training he's blossoming sexually um it's (laughs) it's just positive vibes all around from Roman yeah Except I did like how when Logan sits down and calls him over, he like moves his hands up to his face to like protect himself. He's like <laughs> eating his oh, uh, fingernails, but yeah. So Kieran-y. Um My favorite, of course, in response to like the suggestion of therapy is Logan saying, you know, you may want to <laughs> screw your mother. And I literally just <laughs> shrieked. I mean, I was like, oh my, it, oh. I loved it. They they so start great. making the Oedipus jokes a lot like to each other in this mm-hmm. season. It's yeah. kind of disturbing <laughs> the degree to which that's all just like out in the open. It's not even subtext. It's just text um, well, that you guys all have mommy complexes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, per, I mean, yeah, it, it was great. I saw a, a screenshot I had from Walter, and uh, it's when the first time that um, uh, Roman calls Jerry like needing her. He's like, I need you, and. And anyways, he responds to her, yes, mommy. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, the foreshadowing. and Yeah. So the, <laughs> um, the team decides that the strategy going forward for the hearings is going to be kill Bill. Um, 
the predecessor of Tom and let the the current class sort of get by and they're going to go with the a few bad apples excuse yeah and uh i'm really glad to see bill back and to see that actor back because i love that performance which is so you know like smiling and like devilish in this really mischievous way and i and i really love the touch uh that they continue to show how bill who is the executive who's most responsible for like covering up all these crimes covering up all this systematic abuse and exploitation is apparently the only waystar exec who seems to be genuinely liked and even beloved by his peers and his staff yeah i mean it was apparent in in episode four of season one when we first learned about the death pit and and bill's um resigning and and tom is sort of looking on um, with some jealousy as, as um, his retirement is received by the room with a lot of positivity and he calls him like a genial fuck and he's clearly jealous because Tom does not have the ability to inspire that kind of admiration um, but yeah it was it was great to have Bill back and um, you know his <laughs> his sneaky little veil threat at the end was great um, mm-hmm. yeah if they didn't include that it would have um, you know, it would have felt a little bit too, I don't know, Pollyanna-ish yeah, the whole episode. Yeah, Bill's too sharp to let himself just get fucked over like that. Right. I mean, obviously we saw in like his first scene with Tom, you know, how prepared and how careful he was. You know, mm-hmm. there's no way that he's just going to leave himself vulnerable to getting totally shafted. Right. Um, so yeah, the Kill Bill strategy is not going to work. But he does slip in that line when they're uh, in the in the halls of Congress about how you know like you know i'm st- just because you know just because i'm not on the team anymore doesn't mean i can't come back and, and support the team uh it's just like you know it's it's a kid this theme of just like motivational like sports talk in particular crops up a lot in this episode um it's just like another way that these people just kind of psych themselves up to like not talk about the thing they're talking about <laughs> right you know especially in that scene where they go to the uh um uh, the hearts, um, is it hearts or hibs that they're on? <laughs> I genuinely can't hearts. remember now. They mix it up so much. <laughs> they bought the hearts, yeah. It's, it's the not hearts, the hibs. It's Should easy to get. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, they uh, Edward and uh, Roman both do their little pump up speeches. Roman's line is like, you know, when a team is a team, it actually can't physically be beaten. That's impossible. Um, which is great <laughs> bullshit sports talk, but also just like good advice. You know, if you want to beat the congressional <laughs> inquiry, you know, you better be a physical, actual team. And of course, the Roys are not remotely a team. Go, you lovely bastards. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. He slipped into like the local vernacular. You know, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, uh, so continuing kind of with, like with the Roman plot line, mm-hmm. um, Edward agrees fairly readily to the notion of a capital takeover, um, which delights uh, Laird and Carl, and they go to uh, Turkey, where they're in a hotel where there's some kind of convention of uh, investors uh, going on, of high net worth individuals, one might say. And then things start to go wrong fairly quickly. I knew when they were going to Turkey um, that things were not going to go well because that's a uh, that's a a region that has had its share <laughs> of trouble, you know, shall we say, to use a cliche. Um, but I know Gabby, you did some research in particular about like what event this was referencing, right? 
Yeah, so um, this event, I think, called to mind the 2007 hostage situation at the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh. Um, 2017, right? End of 2017, correct. Um, Did I say 2018? Sorry. 2017. said 2007, Um, sorry. Oh, I said 2007. Jeez. No, no, no. Just a few years ago. Um, And in that scenario, there were hundreds of Saudi royals, various billionaires, senior government officials who were detained um, in a power play by the heir to the Saudi throne, the crown prince, MBS, which, by the way, just as an aside, I think kills the idea that Edward is an MBS analog, um, aside the fact Aside from the fact that it's established that Edward and his family are from Azerbaijan, um, he's clearly not an MBS analog. He's just from a super rich family. So he's a much um, lower class of fail son. <laughs> um, it's also not Central Asia. My God, that was killing me. No, no, no. Because Lo- it, it, cause Azerbaijan is Central Asia. So when Logan calls it Central Asian money... Um, he actually is talking about the Azerbaijani money of Edward's family. I know that that, that was confusing for me on first watch too, but then it was clarified um, once I realized mm. that he was talking about Edward's family and Edward's family is from Azerbaijan. And then there's that funny moment of, of them in the car, Laird uh, and Roman, and, and Laird um, asks Roman if he wants to be briefed on Azeri-Turco relations, and, and Lo- Roman kind of pulls out this... Um, smart international relations jargon and it's much to laird's delight and surprise and you know again roman surprising people he's he's not as dumb as people think uh, and he gets underestimated quite a bit so anyway um in this hostage situation in the ritz in saudi arabia um it was described by saudi authority authorities as a, a crackdown on rampant corruption which is the language that Edward um, uses in the episode. He also uses um, the language of the um, hostages trying uh, being stripped of their assets, which was the same exact thing that happened in the Saudi situation. Um, the idea was that the hostages were told they had to sign away large chunks of their assets to be released. Um, which, again, is what the phrasing Edward uses when he comes in to cut the deal with Roman. Um, the overall goal was basically to remind people that going forward, um, their wealth and their well-being would depend on the crown prince. Um, and so there were about 400 detainees, and um, including some very, very high-profile tycoons, um, somebody named Prince Awalid bin Talal, who had um, investments in Citigroup and Apple, estimated at more than um 17 billion so um yeah i think you know sort of based a little bit on um that that event i know that also in in saudi arabia they used another hotel for i think across the way from the ritz uh, uh, a marriott so you know four star detention as opposed to a five star hostage situation <laughs> um and yeah i i uh, I think um, aside from Roman sort of exhibiting some strength early before the hostage situation um, emerges, he's doing a good job convincing Edward's people um, that this is a good move and, and Laird is there to back it up. Um, I wish we could have just like a, a Danny Houston appreciation 
corner moment because <laughs> he's just so great. Like, I, I mean, his acting and his voice and his cadence, I, I feel like if he made ASMR videos that I would never have another anxiety issue or sleep issue in my life. I just love watching the guy <laughs> act. Um, he's so magnetic um, yet very calming. And I just want to say Danny Houston really looks like he smells good. Right? Man, he's just so classy. I don't know. He just really <laughs> it was and it was but it was great to have him and Carl sort of experiencing their their own <laughs> their own respective anxieties. Um I just want to shout out Carl saying oh, it's it not was... very it's not very businessy <laughs> when when they're being uh, brought down to the lobby he says it's not very businessy which is a direct throwback to episode nine when Tom consistently says that things are not very wedding y. Um, yeah. Just love the language corner of, of succession but yeah. but yeah um, I think uh, you know Roman really showed his strengths throughout this entire situation aside from um you know doing a great job i think before the the hostage scenario he also really rises to the challenge of dealing with something completely unforeseen and scary um you know he doesn't really get worked up they show him kind of lazing around playing games um so i think that there's he even falls asleep yeah, and so, you know, I try to imagine the other Roy kids in that scenario and, and the, how absolutely um, manic they would have become. And, and it takes a lot of mental fortitude to write out a situation as tenuous and stressful as this one. Like, and I'm, I'm ima- just... trying to imagine Ken, Shiv, or Connor dealing with Connor. it in the way that Roman could. And I Connor think this would speaks... be instantly shot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Shiv asking to speak to the manager. Oh I'm just my imagining God. Ken like stuttering and sweating his way through the whole thing. Uh, okay, Ken, okay. Kendall so, would, uh, yes. Okay, we're gonna go over here. <laughs> that was exactly what I was gonna say, Brendan. But you did it. You did it, baby. Right, like <laughs> these Roy's have been insulated their entire lives from every conceivable external danger and inconvenience, and I think Roman more than anybody else understands that there's a bigger world um that you know outside of the roy's inner yeah, he sanctum saw the real america this season right he saw the real america he's <laughs> been through training and he understands that there's people in the world who are even more brutal and powerful than his father i mean he even kind of says mm. it like i don't really think my dad could lock his enemies in a hotel but he is powerful <laughs> and so he knows that when he's faced with a situation like this he should probably just shut up make the best of it and ride it out um and, you know, as we've seen throughout the series, Roman is generally comfortable, at least okay, with complying from orders on high. And in this scenario, it worked tremendously to his and Carl and Laird's benefit because he literally kept them alive. I mean, quite literally. Yeah, I was really impressed with his instincts from the moment, like, the guy shows up, right? He's still doing the thing, but he's checking on, you know, he's checking to make sure everything's still okay. And he's the only one, like, out of Laird and Carl and him like standing trying to you know negotiate a good ending to this situation that they're in yeah exactly um yeah it doesn't speak super well of like laird who is usually so self-possessed that he totally surrenders control of the situation to to roman who you know whoever whatever his relative status might be you know laird is absolutely the guy who should be handling things in that scenario 
um, with his what well, with his sophisticated and nuanced knowledge of geopolitics and whatnot. Meanwhile, Carl, <laughs> you know, uh, talking of you silent know, panic attack. Yeah, Full an episode, an, an episode that evokes the thick of it on so many levels. Um, yeah, this is this is a real. Uh, we've been waiting, I think, for the show to really use David Rash like really well. They kind of keep him in the back pocket. Um, we got to use him a little bit in hunting, but this is a really good David Rash episode. Um, who was not on the thick of it, of course, but in in the loop as the uh, Rumsfeld analog. And he's, yeah, he's spectacular in this with just, like, sitting super calmly, like, full disclosure, I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> and having because to lie I down. Relate. Immediately <laughs> surrendering his, his phone. Hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also really enjoyed the, like, Mary fuck kill, obviously, because I love the whole mom, Jerry, Roman side plot, but... You know, when Laird oh, says... Oh, that was that, hilarious, yeah. Yeah, he'd kill Ray, fuck Elsa, and marry Jerry. And <laughs> Roman just... You'd marry Jerry, you sick fuck! You like, oh, I mean... Oh, hot, you sicko. Yeah, That's such a schoolyard thing where the guy is like, like, oh, you like her? Oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, yeah. so little boy I loved it. yeah. <laughs> And mixing in the hot in the middle of all the rest is so funny. Right. It's yeah. so Roman. <laughs> so oh, Roman. Ugh, hot. You fucking Ugh. gross. Gross. Jerry? Ew. Yeah. And so, so then we learn, it, if, I'm, if I'm correct, is it the president's daughter's husband who's interested in the deal? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the nuances are, are complicated, I think. But yeah, basically, you know, there's 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 interests at play that would like to see the deal, you know, go through. Um, as Gabby outlined, you know, that situation isn't really about like actually um, like putting an end to the business. They want the business to keep going, but they want it to be under the control of the state, right? Um, so that's that's basically what's happening here. Is like, yes, we want the deal to go through, but we want the understanding that, you know, it's un, it's with our approval and because of us that it's happening. And then we also just know exactly what happens at the end of that plot. Like right. Robin is yeah. Robin is uh, march is marched out, um, and uh, uh, hopefully he's okay. National? I'm assuming he's not immediately shot. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's it's kind of uh, kind of jarring that they just uh, they they leave him there without any real resolution to that beyond the suggestion that the deal is going to happen. Well, Roman also displaying his savvy and geopolitical smarts again at the end when they're like foreign nationals identify yourself and he's like I feel like this is the point where mm-hmm. Americans don't fare so well and then like they pan to Carl and Carl's hand is just like completely erect like get me the fuck out of here just listen to them. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the investment if they'll go through with it, but Roman did a pretty good job um convincing you know this this group of of uh, you know high powered investors, um, and and he gets the job done. We think, and we get the ominous good luck from Edward as he's being marched out. Mm, yeah, and Roman, go hit, go hearts. <laughs> 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 but should we talk about the testimony or? Are yeah, there- yes. let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to kind of get the the Roman plot out of the way, but yes. Uh, they end up in, uh, so the Roys, the executive team, end up in D.C. where it's decided that the people that are going to testify are going to be first uh, Tom and Jerry, finally, we get them together, the team of Tom, Tom and Jerry, Jerry um, <laughs> because Tom can speak uh, operationally, as Hugo says, and Jerry 
uh, looks good. You know, lead counsel. You know, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> there's a good exchange when uh, Hugo suggests that, and Jerry's like, "What?" And Hugo goes, "I'm just intimating." He's like, "Yeah, but you're intimating in my direction." So <laughs> explain yourself. Uh, yeah, just just a ton of great dialogue in this episode. And then second, uh, Ken and uh, Logan are going to testify because Ken was chief operating officer at the time and is now again chief operating officer, but he was um, when uh, Tom and, and Bill were there. Um, so there's there's two uh, separate sessions set up with Tom and Jerry set to go first. Tom is murder boarded to death, as Hugo puts it. They put him through the ringer on, you know, well, I don't know what the origin of, you know, the term murder board is, but it's, you know, one of these awful, um, just sort of like inside lingo terms for, you know, just prepping somebody for, you know, a debate or an interview or something like that. Um, and they end up in front of a Senate panel that includes, uh, of course, the very determined and very prepared Senator Gil Evis in his first appearance since episode two this season. We got a very um, thick of it type moment when, um, you know, they're trying to nail Tom on the why is he why are you, do you call him Mo instead of Lester? And then, you know, Senator Evis has all this proof indicating that he would call Mo, Mo in private and Lester in professional uh, emails to Lester. And it's and it's definitely reminded me of the thick of it, um, especially when they are talking to Malcolm and Malcolm has kind of outed himself. Sorry for folks who haven't watched the thick of it, but um, uh, he he shows this picture where he had uh, orchestrated like the bat woman information to be released by the press and then they come back and they zoom in on his part of the photo after he accidentally reveals that he was cropped out and it shows uh Tickell's NHS number and anyways I just found it uh, the, that kind of uh the dynamic happening between um the Mo Lester very very similar to the thick of it uh testimony especially the Malcolm piece what about you Brandon did you see any of that well, I, mean, I, th I think it's uh, I think it's an instructive comparison because in the thick of it, that episode is like it's really the the big climax of the series. It's the penultimate episode of the show, and that moment where Malcolm Tucker is caught off guard is quite a it's 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 quite like a an impact that that it makes in the show because mm -hmm. you have almost never seen. Malcolm as unprepared as he is in that moment and what these inquiry episodes in these shows in the thick of it and veep and in succession to a degree do is they put these characters in this context where they're very used to using this language and to all these assumptions that the world works a certain way and then all of a sudden they have people who <laughs> don't understand what they're talking about or don't accept the same <laughs> things they accept you know so when they you know say like you're quoted as saying all these awful things they have to always they have to sputter and justify themselves when they know that like well this is just the way that my hermetically sealed mm -hmm. universe works um but i don't think that succession has a character like Malcolm, who as who is as quite like all competent as Malcolm is, or like rules quite like with like an iron fist, or maybe it's just that in the comic universe of the thick of it, um, yeah. you know, it has it has a slightly less balanced view of uh, Malcolm until that episode than Succession does of its characters. Although Jerry 
and Logan are quite formidable, I think it also treats them quite realistically um, throughout the show. And we see them, you know, at moments of strength and moments of weakness. So there isn't really like a Malcolm-esque puncturing moment that happens in this episode. It was just, it's just, I guess, them getting caught in the lie, which is pretty superficial uh, uh, top level or, yeah. you know, just surface level analysis. But yeah, you, you, I mean, you're definitely spot on and, and, and how it plays in the thick of it, which is different. And what happens to Tom is really interesting because, you know, the implication, obviously, when they say the whole exchange about him being murder-bordered is that they've prepared for this quite extensively. And yet at the same mm-hmm. time, Tom really gets raked over the coals and it really seems like he was not prepared with answers for a lot of these questions. Um, so you do have to wonder if he's being either set up a little bit or if he's just um, or if these are just the kinds of things that they expected him to be able to talk about. Um, and he's just, uh, is not able to, you know, he, they ask, they nail him on all these various details of like, you know, there's all these details that suggest that you directed Greg Hirsch, who he denies knowing at first to shred documents. Oh my God. And an unbelievable, and an unbelievable gaffe because Greg is literally sitting in the room two rows behind him. Although Gil clearly doesn't know. Right that over his shoulder in the shot. Cause he doesn't point yeah. it out. And then uh, they also nail him on the uh, all these details that suggest that he's, you know, just a frat boy bully around the office with the uh, term human furniture, which he describes as uh, an incentive uh, for target, a, a target oriented incentive target-oriented. To, <laughs> to, to boost performance and also. And also sending Greg 67 emails with the subject line, you can't make a tomlet without breaking some Gregs. I just want to say really quickly about that line. I I rewatched Prenuptial um, recently, and (laughs) there's a line that Stewie has, and sorry, not Stewie, that Sandy has in that episode to Stewie and Ken um, regarding the the early... um, acceleration of the bear hug where he he says you can't make an omelet without breaking some dicks (laughs) so again (laughs) just succession writing corner um but yeah that was uh you know it seemed like tom you know he started out okay and and was you know doing the sort of uh you know vague performance that they were that they asked of him um but then, you know, the blows start coming in from Gil, um, and, you know, he the, the Mo Lester thing is when, when it starts to kind of um, begin to crumble. But, but then the, oh man, the Gregory Hirsch line and the 67 emails, I mean, that was just devastating. And Tom's reaction afterwards when he comes back into the room, and he's kind of furious, uh, rightfully so. And, he, you know, he's saying, I'm the patsy, I got fucked from every direction. Um, incredible bit of acting from McFadden, just uh, mm-hmm. portraying some some real intense emotion um, about you know being essentially being hung out to dry, and and, and being yeah. hung out to dry by the people in that room that he's with. Right. Se- I mean, I feel like we never see such a breakdown of like the social niceties among that group of people. It's amazing to watch that that part where he's just freaking out, and then later Greg walks in, also oh freaking out. Oh my god! Oh fuck! Oh yeah! Oh, fuck. The the Greg Tom bromance, I think, is is over. You know, oh, yeah. um, I was I was calling it. I called it. I called it. Nobody would Tragic. listen. Everybody loves the Greg <laughs> and Tom bromance, but I think the uh, 
the the sweet summer days are over for those boys. Um, it's it's not going to be like it was. Um, Tom's hair is even messed up. Um, I don't think it's ever been messed up before. Um, when he comes back unhinged. It's a really good use of just like McFadden's physicality, how like yeah. tall and sort of mm-hmm. you know like like solid he is. Like they they get his whole body sturdy in the frame. Guy, yeah. yeah, he's a big sturdy guy, and he looks like completely disheveled. He looks like a fucking mess. He looks he honestly yeah. he honestly what he really reminded me of was those scenes where like John Hamm plays drunk in Mad Men and like slips into like the old Dick mm. Whitman drawl. Yeah. Um, that's honestly what that reminded me of. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I called him unhinged in my notes. <laughs> no, he was. He, uh, it was definitely unhinged. And I think it was an yeah, important... Logan, that, uh, real quick, that it's interesting that Logan never, like, expresses any kind of, con- like, sorry or anything to, to Tom. He just stands there. <laughs> Tom apologizes him. to him. <laughs> yes. They're all furious at him. Hugo gets yeah. the great library. He's like, what's it like to be married with a, to a man with oh. two assholes? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, and then the the line later on about the domestic block of Feta, but I think it was um, it was an important climactic moment that I feel like we've sort of been building to with Tom, in terms of his more explicit mm-hmm. questioning and evaluating of his place in in the company, but more importantly, his place in his marriage, um, and we've seen it throughout the season. You know, the the fuck off Shiv, um, at, at the dinner party at Romans. Um, you know the the continued asking of of Shiv and other people if you know he's safe if he's you know if, if he can trust what's going on that he's going to be protected um you know and the sort of ambiguity of, of the answers there the idea of you know his open marriage not applying to him uh, i think he's coming closer and closer to the realization that he is expendable um and you know this just begs the question of, of what does it bode for Shiv and Tom and you know the mm-hmm. the named blood sacrifice in the finale. I think simply throwing mm-hmm. Tom to the wolves would be a little bit too obvious. Um, but Brendan, I know you said that um, this is more this dynamic is more about Shiv um, than Tom, so it might play out that way. Yeah, yeah, I know we'll talk more about the the possibility of the blood sacrifice, but yeah, um, throwing yeah throwing Tom to the wolves would certainly um, I think um, prompt some kind of uh, uh, decision point uh, for Shiv. I, w- I want to go next to the uh, the second testimony sequence because I want to come round to the um, the Shiv material um, last, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I just want to say really quick that like uh, Shiv and Tom's relationship prior or in this episode prior to that scene of the break or even in the breakdown when he's like like Shiv, are we? You know, is this still real? It's amazing to me. I'm so blown away by that scene, but it's amazing to me that he's like openly asking, like Shiv, are we actually are, like, are right. you screwing me? Amazing, and also yeah, it, goes, it goes to what you were saying earlier about like these characters not knowing what is real, mm-hmm. um, especially characters on the outside. Mm. And and Tom routinely, I mean, throughout the entire season, has just been asking for reassurance from Shiv and not really getting it. And, and you know, I've been talking about him maybe inching towards a breaking point, but. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe this was his breaking point. Well, but. I mean, 
even Shiv like accepting the CEO position when he he's been clearly resentful about that mm-hmm. um, and came up in the last episode, you know, when he says, well, maybe Reyes, I know you guys mentioned this on the pod, you know, but maybe Reyes is a better option for me. I mean, he's clearly right. these things are on his mind. And like you said, his acting is so phenomenal in that scene. We can tell he's like what's on his mind, like he's evaluating all of these things at once and all of his suspicions, I think, are coming to like fruition and and yeah there's like a breaking point and I'm sorry Brandon I think I cut you off and then Brendan I know we're skipping to testimony too so Brandon did I think oh oh that's right I was thinking about how in one of the previous episodes there's the big climax with Marsha and Logan where she says you've been careless of me Mm -hmm. and you get that in a much stronger way all season with I feel like that's foreshadowing for Tom and Shiv absolutely yeah and the way that Shiv mirrors Logan's behavior I mean it makes perfect sense yeah, I'll have something to say about that uh, at, the, at the end about another dynamic. But so testimony part two. Yeah, Test- testimony part two is, yeah, this is where I think the the Kavanaugh stuff comes back for me, um, because the, the the Roy kid who really delivers here is Ken and the person who doesn't deliver not he doesn't flub it quite as badly as Tom does uh but the person who doesn't deliver deliver here is Logan who appears you know mumbly a bit unprepared you know as we saw at the right before the scene when they say okay Logan if he asked you if you ever saw or witnessed any wrongdoing on any of your cruises what do you say he's like I'm not going to answer that and they're like well I I thought we were just going to say no right you're going to say no to that um and (laughs) he's also uh, reading He's also reading from a very unconvincing, pre-written corporate statement. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just, it's not good at all. It, it's not good. Um, but Kendall, who we've just seen do a different kind of performance, um, is the person who seems to really understand intuitively what Hugo says, I think, earlier in the episode, that these inquiries are theater. This is not where the real consequences are dealt out you know no one is going uh no one is going to jail as a result like no one is on trial here right like no sentences are going to be handed out this is theater this is an opportunity for them to to score points it's an opportunity for you to score points so kendall really takes that to heart and delivers a couple of zingers at gill uh that you know are going to get good play on atn and allow the company to save a little face because he looks defiant Right, he he looks Gil in the eye, and he may not really answer meaningfully any like questions about wrongdoing, about their role in these scandals and this exploitation and this depravity. But he looks Gil in the eye and says, "We have nothing to hide, you know, um, you know, come at us." And again, this really brought Kavanaugh to mind for me because what was happening in those hearings was, you know not anything meaningfully true no truth was being dealt there it was all about you know can you uh square up to the situation with as much just like indignance um and defiance as possible to give your allies you know the ammunition they need um to defend you and that's exactly what kendall does yeah and it's interesting how gill is so equipped in the first um part of the the hearing with with Tom um with just cold hard facts and information and in this um in this section of the of the hearing he sort of you know turns it into this polemic against Logan and you know this idea of 
um, you know, being you know for profit and, and his exploitation, his business model is based on exploitation, and it doesn't seem as mm. um, sharp or um, effective. Um, but I think this speaks to something really important about Gil, which is just um, his incredible personal hatred, and he always insists that it's not personal for Logan Roy. Um, going back from the the first season, um, just how. Um, he seems just sort of single-minded in this uh, ideology about monopolies, and we've always said that felt a little off for like a left-wing politician for that to be the, their main, um, you know, centerpiece of, the, of their uh, of their vision is is about you know the media. It seemed a little off, but but Gil has an incredible contempt for Logan, and um, you know I think it 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 speaks to that. Um, when you know we see the way that he approaches um this part of of the hearing as opposed to you know being armed with the the evidence that he was um when it came to tom yeah it's another uh, point i think where it's useful to remember the differences between gill and i think the real life figures um that we often mentally substitute for him you know mm-hmm. um he's got um he's got an academic background he taught economics you know he um i i think also has a quite a strong self-regard um in the way that a lot of politician characters often do on tv i think the, sh- the show i think has demonstrated often that it does not have you know a, a totally rosy view of gill even if it might line up philosophically right. more with his um with his opinion of things and i think that he slides a little bit too far to the side of trying of, of theater here um, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, the far more compelling theater, honestly, of sticking to the facts and scoring all those points against um, Tom by exposing, um, exposing him with the evidence. Um, it's also quite likely that there's just less paper to tie Ken and Logan to all this stuff because they don't answer True. emails and they keep, mm-hmm. you know, ex- you know the, also- the top executives keep their hands off these things. Even in his questioning, we see his hypocrisy, like exploitation and cover-up run rife, you know, or at the center of your business. And, like, they're currently trying to exploit the victim or survivor, Kira, right, um, to testify. Yeah. And I'm sure they have their fair share of cover-ups. I mean, we know his deals with ATN. So, again, yeah, he's not, you know, they show him... I think for, you know, uh, the fully dimensional person he is, which isn't all good. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then I like that he has, I like that he has blind spots where Mm -hmm. like, you know, it just, it feels like in the performance, you can see how, you know, other, how it would read differently to someone else, but how he clearly is in his own, you know, he has his own way of seeing things and interacting with people. Yeah, and then he, you know, the plot is entirely lost by the time um, some Republican senator starts talking and, and lauding <laughs> Mr. Um, Roberts, lauding Mr. Kendall Roberts. and Logan and saying, you know, he, I want to have a beer with you. And, and, you know, I took my wife on one of your cruises and it was absolutely delightful. And, you know, at that point, we <laughs> realized that Ken and Logan are, um, you know, have, have escaped this potentially catastrophic situation but yeah that was a, that was sort of a funny way to, to yeah, go yeah, I was that. Proud. that guy was perfect that was like ben sass played by richard jenkins awesome. i don't I know who the actual actor Kendall, was especially like he was you know we didn't mention like logan threw him under the bus like in yeah. that testimony say. yeah oh yeah totally. brandon go ahead 
Oh, I was just going to ask, like, what did y'all think of that? Was like, obviously, there's an open question of how much Logan sort of fakes his like oldness to get out of situations that he doesn't want to be involved in. But um, and there's a little bit of that, I think, in here. But also, maybe it's true, or maybe it's like, you know, he's actually just old and losing it a little bit. But uh, when he throws Kendall under the bus mm-hmm. and then later apologizes for it and, and mm-hmm. Kendall is like, oh yeah, no problem. We're good. I'm good. Yeah. We're good. Well, I think it's... it makes sense in the context of the situation because one of the things that Logan says about the inquiry is that, you know, 10 bad minutes on TV in Washington could be the end mm-hmm. of it. And he's thinking, yeah. he's thinking very clearly and coldly about you know, I need to minimize the degree to which I am made to look weak or vulnerable on television. So he's best, he's passing the buck to Kendall, not necessarily specifically to screw Kendall, but just because it's like, I don't want to answer this question. I am too important Mm -hmm. to answer this question. Someone else needs to answer it so that I, so that in case it goes wrong, I don't have to be the one on tape about it um, because I still need my shareholders to vote for me. Um, so yeah, it I... sucks. <laughs> it's uh, he's he's making a real calculation there that's tied to his immediate circumstances. I agree, but I also feel like this episode shows him as particularly inept in a lot of this, um, with regards to like everyone else doing the work for him. Whether it's Carolina with the talking points and Jerry with the response, he's not coming up with really anything. Roman being the one to go out and secure the money, Shiv being the one to be able to handle um you know the the potential test t- testimony of of the survivor um so I, I did think it was kind of like the episode was showing that he is maybe not as competent um which could have to do which with you know the illnesses and the yeah, side mean, effects and but also I think they do I, a good job towing the line there of, of not yeah. really being sure. Um, again, something the show does very well with regards to a lot of its plot lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, mean, yeah, I think because... this, I think the show indicates some truth about just like men like Logan, who I mean, and if you watch like these um, these inquiries, these hearings about like, well, you know, a lot of these people, um, a lot of these executives, bankers. Um, people who have had, uh, you know, like the Enron guys having to go up there. They're people who are just like not used to answering straightforward questions, you know? Um, so it, it, it would make sense that, you know, yeah, someone in Logan's position is going to just kind of like mumble and pass the buck. So um, bringing us to sort of the, the you know, big um, Shiv storyline, we have her um, going to see Gil in between the two testimonies to try and give oppo on um weisel and saying that if gill goes for bill they'll fold and gill can keep appearing on atn and they'll keep uh she says snipers trained on your primary rivals which um again you know she's going for you know clear transaction there um but gill and um oh what's his name again nate Nate. (laughs) (laughs) um you know, say that they <laughs> poor Nate with his giant poster board, oh God, looking poster like board. a fucking chump. I, I I thought he was on his campaign, but apparently he's just on his Senate staff, which is just like, yeah, what a beta, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know that somebody mentioned um that earlier in in the week when we were talking that there's that gorgeous shot of Shiv, um, walking against the tide of of you know, all these other black figures in her gray suit, um, 
almost blending in with the steps. Um, and there's another great overhead shot right after that. Um, and she just looks, you know, very beautiful and powerful. And I think she projects um, a lot of power throughout the, the season and, and in this episode um, and the way that she's styled. Um, but then it's an interesting sort of change when she, you know, does have to go talk to this survivor where um, she has to sort of tamp that down and get on her level. But we'll get to that. So, um, yeah. Does anyone want to speak about what uh, Gil and Nate have, have in store? I just want to say that I loved watching Shiv's arrival to DC where she's like, you know, she's eating it up because she's not going, she's not going there. She's there with Tom, but she's not even supporting Tom. She's like Mm -hmm. on her phone. She has to answer her phone immediately when she gets through security. And like, anyway, I just love that. What you were saying about yeah, DC is like her wheelhouse, you know, it's like, this is oh, yeah. my territory because, you know, she, she's the strategist and, you know, so she goes and, you know, tries to it, pers- persuade Gil. And it did work out in her favor. Like they were in her, they were on her turf and she rose to the dark occasion. She did indeed. Yeah. Very dark. Yeah, I forgot um, Shiv actually has is in my two favorite shots of the episode. Like like Gabby mentioned, that absolutely stunning shot where her gray suit is like blending into the marble steps, um, and she's and all these other fi- dark figures, which is almost like you know you can see somebody screen capping that and being like, wow, you know, women power. Um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, my, but Slay. one of my other one of my other favorite shots of the episode is the first shot that Shiv is in when she's watching the weasel testimony mm-hmm. on an iPad at the back of a car, texting on one phone <laughs> and talking on a third, um, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, that's that's Shiv right there. She, uh, you know, she's a master of uh, rich yep. people phone use, um, and uh, she's just you know just jujitsu back there. Um, but yeah, so they have this. Gil and Nate uh, say that you know there's you don't have any leverage on us because we've got something really good and it turns out it's this this ringer witness um, this woman who it I, seems was directly abused by Lester you know was a former employee for Cruises and is going to testify later in the week and is just going to absolutely gut them because once she testifies and she knows other she apparently right because she was victims. she was a manager so she's right. a manager a yeah victims, and she says yeah. and jerry goes like yeah if she testifies you know the ndas will domino and that's it you know other people will come forward and they'll be toast because they'll just be an it'll just be an avalanche of bad news that they won't be able to get out from under sandy and Stu will take over they'll clean house and the family will lose the company um, and maybe somebody would actually also face consequences or jail time, but probably not. Um, but they'll lose the company, which is the worst thing that could happen. So, um, Shiv and Rhea are tasked with going to meet this woman in a public park at a playground to try to talk her out of it, which is just a ghastly thing. Um, I've, what is the what is the term that they use for it? Um, soft, soft skills, woman, shit, woman is duty, you, yeah, yeah, soft skills, we, lady duty, lady shit duty, work. shit yeah. work, yeah. And yeah. just the irony is, this is like what she does is so incredibly deft and difficult, and I mean, I'm conflicted about what she does, but you know, like this, for them to like, you know, demean it. Or for even Logan to think, oh, you know, I mean, obviously it's the face of the women that are important, but the actual work is like so difficult and right. incredibly draining and 
actual emo- emo- emotional you know, labor. Labor, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's. Yeah. A, I think it's. I think it's a question how emotional Shiv is about it. Is right. The right. And, and thing. I definitely. But it's have still a- hard to pull off. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's a, it's, there yeah. might not be a lot of emotion for her involved, but a hell of a lot of skill. Um, that none of the others, you know, would have been able yeah. to pull off. Absolutely. And, and I have a lot to say about that entire scene, but I just want to go to Rhea really quickly. And, and um, you know, she's yeah. sort of uh, lingering in the background of this episode, clearly upset about how the situation has unfolded. Um, you know, she's privately upset with Logan telling him um, that this is not, you know, like, you know, this is not the same thing as the magazine. This is you know, very bad. Um you know, she's short with him, and and she she references uh, Bluebeard, which is this uh, like French folktale about um, this womanizer and and um, and the the one woman who tries to to kind of uh, evade his um, his power. And so um, yeah, she's frustrated, but she gives you know early on in the episode she gives this sort of morale speech, boosting speech to the to the executives again in line with this sort of sports talk that Brendan was talking about and people, um, you know, giving these motivational uh, speeches. But you know she knows that this is you know a very very bad situation, and she seems um, you know very very upset. Um, and I guess she gets called to. Um, speak to the victim along with Shiv because she knows the senator um, who's named Senator Gilliard, which I thought maybe was a a Gillibrand shout because um, Mm -hmm. Senator Gillibrand um, early in her career did a lot of direct advocacy for sexual assault victims in the military. Um, But anyway, so she has the connection and apparently she ran knows um, this senator and, and so Logan um, says that she and Shiv, for obvious, um, you know, identity reasons, need to go and speak to this victim. And, and Maria seems, again, disillusioned with that um, and, and sort of has this growing deflation, frustration throughout the episode's events. And by the time they pull up to the park where they're going to meet Kira, um, the survivor, she says that she doesn't want to go in. And, um, you know, she tells Shiv, you don't have to do this either. And Shiv is like, well, if she's compelling, then that's the end of my dad's company. So I actually do have to do it. That moment is such a like, it reminded me of Marnie on Girls when um, <laughs> she's supposed to go do her song. She's supposed to go perform her song and her guitar guy didn't show up. Oh, and my God. Yeah. <laughs> I forget, oh, Ray. Ray offers to play guitar and she's he's like, I'm pretty good. And she takes a beat. She goes. I'm pretty good too and goes out there <laughs> Shiv taking that beat and sort of like looking off into the distance and already making the calculation like nope I'm doing this it's like I, yeah and she's like she's like thanks Rhea and like with this like yes. very devious smile so, she says yeah, you're leaving this to, to me <laughs> which I was it kind of reminded me of Roman a little bit but but yeah it was a really interesting conversation between the two um when so to get to the conversation um i know we all have a lot to say about it but i was really stunned kind of on like a fourth rewatch of like or maybe even fifth of that scene um at the very beginning when when shiv is talking to to kira she says to her and i hadn't really picked up on this like but I'm not, I'm not here to stop you from testifying. 
I'm here to listen and to try to understand what we did wrong and how I can fix it. And it's such a bold-faced lie as we experience the rest of the scene because she literally does try to stop her from testifying. Uh, and she doesn't listen. And anyways, I was just so surprised yeah. by, like, the brazenness. Like, yes. for her to... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. I just want to add to what you're saying. She introduces herself by saying, you know, my dad made me a deal and sort of... It was a bad deal. And then what, what does she do to this woman? And she yeah. like offers her a deal, like, help me reform this company. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I know how you feel. Somebody once promised me a company and didn't give it to me. <laughs> and, and she ends with, will you help me? Which is ingenious. As It's so fucking sick, Joker's but it's trick. ingenious. To, like, yeah. I, I mean, Shiv in this scene is, you know, towing this line where, where she's, incredibly cynical and, and but also cloaking it in this benevolent veneer of like I want what's best for you and I'm going to do what I can to help you and uh, you know to that end she she's projecting this extremely mm -hmm. carefully curated authenticity mm -hmm. to try and gain yeah. Kira's trust and, and uh, she's playing on this um, good cop misogynist cop term that um, she she coins in Turnhaven and while I was watching this scene, it really kind of felt to me like a good cop trying to convince somebody to take a plea deal like you would see in a police procedural. And, you know, I was a little worried because I thought maybe Kira would take the bait too quickly. But I definitely want to give credit to the actress, Sally Murphy, who, who did a really good job conveying the apprehension and, and, and anger of someone in this situation. And obviously to the writing team for forcing Shiv to kind of dig deep into the well of her powers of persuasion to make the whole thing work. Um, and not just have it, you know, be easy on the first try. So, yeah, Shiv tries with the, you know, the the platitudes and I'm here to listen. But, you know, Kira challenges her and says, you know, she's not comfortable and she walks away. Um, mm -hmm. And then Shiv kind of adjusts by by employing this tell it like it is cut through the bullshit um, honest cop hat, which is a brilliant hack and, and also thematically in line with Kendall's speech in the hearing where he quite literally uses the words, let's cut through the bullshit. Um, and as she follows Kira into the playground, Shiv takes off her sky-high oh, heels, yeah. which speaks to something I've been saying for a few episodes about how the show has styled and stage Shiv to tower over other women who are her rivals. So, I mean, I think it was a very important moment for Shiv to literally oh. take her shoes off and put herself on an equal physical level as this woman. Um, you know, and then she, like, like you said, Brandon, she leverages her experience of being fucked over by her dad to start breaking Kira down saying, you know, I don't trust him. Um, and, you know, it's, she, of course, the situations don't bear any similarity, but it works because Kira is in such a vulnerable state. And she's obviously, you know, very susceptible at this moment, thinking about what's going to unfold over the next few days. Um, she's very susceptible to expressions of solidarity, especially from a powerful woman and a powerful woman on the inside, like Shiv. And, you know, Sarah Snook's composure throughout the whole thing makes it very easy to fall for what Shiv is doing here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it reminded me of Rhea's line to Logan later on about how he's able to lie with such ease and it's a superpower. Um, and mm -hmm. it's another way Shiv is so much like her dad. And the key here, well, I think, is that Shiv is so convincing because she's she's being honest, right? Like the admission that she can't be trusted and that she only wants what's best for herself might have seemed risky. But in a situation like this, that confession probably comes across as far more genuine to Kira than the people who are blowing smoke up her ass and convincing her it's all going to be OK and she can trust that she'll be protected. 
So I think in being truthful about her intentions, even if it's deployed cynically, it made her a more trustworthy figure in Kira's eyes. I mean, if she had said, yeah, you can totally trust me, it would have come across as bullshit. And so it's very well played. And then, of course, the final pivot to the actual reality that, you know, the people encouraging this want what's best for themselves. And that once the support wagon leaves, you know, her legacy and name will be forever tainted by this. I mean, it was just a total masterstroke in, in, in manipulation. While, you know, retaining some semblance of the truth, because that is true, that people were going to rip her apart and that her life was going to be forever changed by it. Yeah, I know there's some um, more, there's some deeper stuff to say about this. And I know Brendan had some good thoughts Um but just personally, I was so conflicted during this scene because for some reason, and I, you know, the show, I give it to the writers, you know, um, but I was really rooting for her to not testify despite my own better sense of, well, I, I was really rooting for, basically for Waystar to like win, you know, I guess. And, and so well, I didn't like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think the key to that, Kate, is that um, I mean, Gabby, I think you really nicely lay out um, a lot of the the subtle things that Shiv does in the scene to mm-hmm. gain Kira's confidence in what is, yes, an awfully unequal and exploitive dynamic. But not only is there this question of like, you know, Shiv seems like she's mostly being honest here; she also is not wrong about a lot of what she says like her her, the main thrust of her point that if you do this this will be attached to your name forever and you know you'll be famous for a few days and you'll have people who support you but then the parade moves on and you're left with you know you know just hordes of people who are happy to just harass you and torment you and call you names for the rest of your life and make you move and you know not force you you know not to go back to work and all this stuff i mean she, that's absolutely right. I mean, I mean, there's a degree to which, you know, Waystar would be, you know, endorsing or maybe even tacitly supporting that, you know, with their networks, etc. But a lot of that stuff just happens independently because, as we know, there are just people who um, just want to harass these women who come forward. And there's a real question of, I think, you know, Jesse Armstrong talked about this in the clip after the show where he's like, you know, they talk, they talk, they thought about it from the perspective of just like you know if this was your friend or somebody you know would you honestly advise them to do something like this and i mean that's what is you know just breathtaking about the depth of shiv's cynicism here is that like for her the only reality in the scene is self-interest the only reality is you know your self-interest and mine and you have to think about yours and my this the the nugget at the heart of this whole exchange that really i keep coming back to is this bit where Kira says in response to one of Shiv's points, I just feel like it's something I have to do. And Shiv just like incredibly condescendingly goes, yeah, sure. Um, like there's like the, the possibility of, you know, like a higher goal or something that exists outside somebody's own immediate circumstances or the fact that there is a right or a wrong thing to do in a situation. is just not something that enters into it. Um, and she doesn't even, she, she doesn't allow it to, you know, to enter her thoughts. And then we talked in, you know, the last episode in that exchange between Logan and Shiv about how, um, you know, Shiv's a liberal, but in Logan's words, like, yeah, but you get it, right? Like you (laughs) get it. And this brand of cynical, like deeply cynical and deeply corporate 
feminism is something that has been really key to this season because it's been something that Shiv has found uh, herself calling upon to use in her favor and something that she's also kind of sidelined and tormented with. Um, And Mm -hmm. here she turns it to her advantage, um, this notion of, you know, solidarity between, you know, one woman giving advice to another woman. Um, But what the deeper meaning of that is, is something that she doesn't allow to enter into the equation. Yeah, again, it's like wild that she says she's not going to promise her anything. And then like five minutes later... Um, of course, she is promising or something. And as Gabby said, she's so vulnerable and so, you know, desperate for, like, connection and understanding that, like, Kira, you know, doesn't, isn't able to pick up on any of that or calculate any of this because she's actually a real person, a real feeling person, whereas Shiv is a calculating you know, I am not political a political strategist. <laughs> I mean, she's a strategist. There's, there was no. I mean, she was appealing to pathos there, but, um, you know, it was, you know, so deeply, um, you know, uh, colored by by how just grim and ghoulish the entire thing was. Like when she says that, you know, she wants to take those men down, and she's gonna, you know, she'll ha- she'll she's gonna kill them, like. I was furious. Mm-hmm. I was I was like furious on Kira's behalf yeah. because I knew in ten minutes, you know, she'd be high fiving Logan and, and saying, you know, it's all taken care of, which ended up happening. And, and it just, it, you know, I, I understand why this scene was d- very difficult for people, and hopefully it, um, you know, hopefully it was a reminder that that Shiv is not uh good. I know that some people still are rooting for Shiv or think she's good or or what but um yeah uh hopefully this this put put all that to bed a lot of people picked a good week to show off their quiz results from buzzfeed trying to flex brandon oh i got roman nice oh fun <laughs> nice yeah i picked the picked the wrong week to uh, to name my daughter siobhan roy <laughs> also, I like how she introduced herself to to Kira as Shiv Roy, not Siobhan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, the the short sharp shock, right? Shiv. Um I think you're brave. Yeah. <laughs> oh I mean, god, that was awful. Oh man. I know. One one thing will I do you, will you help me? One, I mean right. one thing I, I, I come back to that and yep. it's like she flips the script and it's just Fuck, this scene is so good. Right. After I could, totally I could, priming her emotionally to, to make yeah. her think that she's an ally. It's uh-huh. just, uh, I mean, it's was fantastic acting by Snook and mm-hmm. the writing and, and uh, just, um, I mean, again, and, and like we said, this episode was an opportunity for the kids to kind of, uh, you know, show off their strengths. And this is something that Shiv happens to be really good at. And it's... Uh, you know very very bleak yeah yeah i want yeah, the other thing i come back to about this scene is just you know the level of kind of deafness and difficulty it presents you know going over this i mean what i think a lot of writers would shy away from this like very fraught territory about you know recent events that are you know very troublesome um and mm-hmm. traumatic for a lot of people and i mean like the name of you know dr christine ford hangs over the scene for me is the thing that's that's unsaid in this scene 
um, but that just just looms over it is you know she's the person I kept thinking of Um, and I think that you know it's I mean obviously it's a testament to the skill and the intelligence of these writers and performers but I think also it shows the benefit of um, (laughs) you know uh, maybe it's an easy target, but, you know, making television where characters are allowed to be flawed and don't have to be, like, heroes um, or, like, super admirable people that are all supposed to be your best friends, <laughs> um, you know, it's some, you know right. that, that, I guess that, that works in some contexts, but it, you know, that's a big reason why a lot of shows can't do things like this or get in trouble for trying to deal with current events. Um, is because you know when the char- when characters and storylines are supposed to you know make you feel good or supposed to be straightforwardly admirable it's 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 a lot more difficult to you know kind of walk these lines um, and because these characters are allowed to be you know awful but realistic people um, mm-hmm. you know that that's what allows them to I think to tackle something like this and to do it in a way that is also you know again not the way that an Aaron Sorkin would do it not the way that um, some of these other more obvious shows would do it, but something that is in keeping with how we understand the characters and how they exist in a world parallel to our own. And none of the characters characters are really anti-heroes either. You know, thinking of the last couple <laughs> decades of television. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys would disagree. But... I, th- I think some people on the Succession subreddit who think that go back and forth between thinking Kendall is an epic Kendall. badass Kendall, yeah. uh, would disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, I was, th- I was kind of thinking maybe Kendall, but I, I, I don't think he's presented as such. I think the fan or the viewers, including myself, sometimes might have that takeaway, but... I mean, Shiv I is, know. you know, like we've said before, she's the Michael Corleone figure. She is kind of the anti-hero. Um, but yeah, it's not a show that I think you know, allows for kind of framings like mm. that. It's too much about, yeah, you know, this, it's too, yeah. it's too it's much not. about the ritualized humiliation. No character is ever allowed to have the upper hand for too long. They're so ensconced within, like, the very top of the top so that they're, you know, we don't spend a lot of time with the victims or, or uh, you know, so we don't get as oh. much of a sense of, like, anyone speaking truth to them, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering, is this the first time Siobhan has spoken to a prol? Like on... <laughs> and I use that because I was thinking of her comment to Gil. Right. Mm-hmm. Hand sanitizer. About oh, yeah. Yeah. hand sanitizer. But I don't think we've seen Siobhan speak. I mean, we haven't seen many of the Certainly characters speak to... Certainly not in a way this meaningful. Yeah, not outside of right. the interactions with, like, um, her, like, campaign staff um, for... Um, uh, for this, the senator she's working for, in like episode four, right? Yeah. And, and yes, and like I, so I there... said a little earlier, I think Shiv has to realize that she comes off as very intimidating. You know, she's beautiful and incredibly well groomed and um, well dressed, and you know she's tall, um, or you know they stage her as tall, and and she kind of had to, um, you know, really, you know, dig deep into into her skill set. Um, to be able to to get this woman's trust. Mm-hmm. And while we said the kids have, you know, definitely stepped up and shown they're all in do- new environments. Um, right. Kendall testifying to Congress. Well, Senate, it's the Senate uh, committee, but um, well, they're Congress as well. And, you know, Roman being in this situation. And yeah, they're all able to make it work. Yeah, definitely challenges they rise to. Not something that we've mm-hmm. seen. Um, you know, very frequently and a very interesting way to set up for 
the final episode. Oh, yeah. Um, Do we want to talk about the Logan and Rhea conversation or? Yeah, I guess we should. Yeah, I guess we should close that out because we return to um, a kind of victory party. It appears where, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Roberts, the Republican senator, is there. Um, (laughs) Naomi Pierce is there. Um, Connor's con heads are there. (laughs) And uh, Bill is there. Critically. Yes. Yes. Because he makes the comment. And uh, yeah, and then there's a there's a moment alone with Logan and Rhea where Rhea calls Logan out um, to try and explain things to her. And when it becomes apparent that he's just not going to deal honestly with her, Rhea confesses, you know, like, hey, I just I don't think this works for me. And she uh, she leaves. And that's uh, that's the last. And I mean, that appears to be, you know, the Rhea's decisive exit from the show. And it's, you know, it's a character I felt conflicted about because. You know, I feel that she was, you know, kept very kind of enigmatic, and I don't know that we ever fully got a satisfying explanation for why she was so mysterious. Um, but it appears that, you know, her relationship with Logan was as sort of uh, uh, unreliable as it appeared to be. Um, but um, it's, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a very sharp contrast with Shiv in this episode in terms of you know who has the stomach for. Um, the kind of business the Roys do and who doesn't. And also who wants to be in that kind of rarefied sphere that they occupy and who doesn't. Right. Yeah, she says to Logan, you know, I, I'm i not really sure if you care about anything, which, um, you know, speaks very largely to uh, the Roy family and, and their inner circle at large. And then, you know, Logan later on says to Shiv, oh, she couldn't hack the hate. Um, which I think, you know, was very revealing. And, and, um, you know, he tells her in the conversation, you know, you know who I am, like, you knew what you were getting into. And and it's hard to tell if Rhea, um, you know, yeah, if she she really did. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too, is, like, because um, she's been so cagey for most of her appearances, um, especially until late, I guess. But um, this episode, I guess, was, like, the we're finally really seeing, I guess, you know, some sort of lines with her. But he says, you knew, you know who I am. And that makes me wonder, like, did she just based on the rest of the season and the rest of the show, how oh, Jesse Armstrong said at the end in the like post show or whatever, he said, you can be pretty compelling when you persuade yourself you did or didn't know something, which seems to me mm-hmm. to be like a huge thing this season. Right. And so her exit here, it's like, she's drawing a moral line, but I wonder you know, the way Logan tells it, and he's not necessarily that reliable either, but it does make me wonder if, like, you know, she did know what she was getting into, and she tried, but I guess, I don't know, it, she didn't want the blowback, or I don't know. Right. I think I think she knew. I mean, again, no one really knows. Um, like you said, there's always this uh, lingering doubt about how honest or real or whatever... Um, the situation mm-hmm. is is that is happening and so we never really know but my sense is that she knew earlier she says you know you have the superpower of lying um but what really struck me in this scene i thought it was really powerful first of all we got to see some of logan um you know being kind of put on the spot without him like overreacting but i i also saw a lot of shiv and logan or logan and shiv um which, you know, we could even see with Kira and Shiv, but um, 
you know, she says it's changed in the details. And as we said, he don't, we don't think he cares about anything that scares me. And he's like, oh, yeah, words, fucking words. And mm-hmm. that came up in the UK in return um, when Shiv was trying to convince her dad, you know, is it me still? And, you know, she wants it to. And she says, I know you haven't always liked my words, but they're, you know, they're words. And so I. Hmm. I and we also end with like this other scene between Shiv and Logan, kind of like seemingly in an alliance, and you know they're watching ATN. This is after the Rhea Logan scene. Um, yeah, and, and so it just really reminded me of of Shiv a lot um, because the lying has kind of also been going on, and and I also felt like this was a conversation that Tom should be having with Shiv. Um, oh, right. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, because she says, yeah, oh, she says it's kind of a superpower. I mean, I know you're lying, but I still find you plausible and appealing. Yes. Right. And I was reminded to episode nine in season one, prenuptial, when Caroline meets Tom and calls him very plausible. Right. <laughs> No, you're right. right. That's so, like, totally that's true that that conversation could have absolutely mirrored a Shiv and Tom conversation because it it brings up the question of of do Logan and the Greater Roy Clan actually believe in anything? Um, and and that was sort of Raya's final point was I, I I'm not really sure if you do and that scares me. Um, and you know I think um, that also rings very true for Shiv and and you know explicitly. Um, you know, in her, her conversation with Kira, we saw, um, you know, that um, sort of cold and ruthless side of her and, and in a situation where, um, you know, it was so delicate and so upsetting and just her ability to, to completely emotionally be detached from it is, is really alarming. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot in this episode about the idea of, of language and words and and dissent um, and, and stifling dissent and who gets to speak and, um, you know, and wondering if, if if any of these people will ever hold themselves accountable for who they've hurt. And the obvious answer is, you know, probably not. But, um, you know, then we do have the stage, the stage set for this idea of, of um, the necessity of a, of a blood sacrifice. And, you know, we are reminded um you know, of, of course, we, that, that brings up immediately the idea of Tom, throwing Tom to the wolves, but we're also reminded that Ken is still holding on to this um, colossal secret that he clearly has showed he does not want to shoulder the burden of alone. So, And real, real briefly before we move on to the, yeah, to um, talking about next week, um, I'm thinking about that, that scene with Logan and Rhea. I think, um, I think it, it, it may be a bit of a uh, red herring to think about it in terms of Logan and Rhea's personal relationship, which has been the subject of, you know, a lot of debate um, and intrigue over the last few episodes, because I think that the pivotal relationship in this season in particular is really Shiv um, and Rhea. And the thing that popped into my mind as we were talking about it is um, season two, episode one, where just before Shiv goes into the study, to have that uh, meeting with Logan where she's offered the job, 
there's that great ominous shot where Logan puts his hands on Kendall's shoulders. Kendall, who's sitting there, you know, mute, you know, like a, again, like this, this, like a symbol of anything, like a symbol of dread. And what he represents in that scene is, you know, this is what has to happen to you if you want to get close to your dad, right? And what Rhea sees in Shiv over the course of the last few episodes, I think we've often talked about it and thought about it in terms of how, um, how Shiv sees Rhea as, you know, the kind of powerful, self-assured woman she wants to be, the kind of person who she sees as a professional rival. Um, but what becomes crucial in this episode is what Rhea sees in Shiv, which is what, um, what Logan wants her to be. Shiv becomes mm-hmm. the person that her father wants her to be in this episode, and it's really crucial that Rhea drives in that car to the playground and stays behind um, because she sees what Shiv is willing to do, what parts of her identity she's willing to exploit and sacrifice um, to, you know, um, to her father, you know, to the to the gods that she worships. And she decides that she isn't willing to do it. Um, Shiv is the warning sign for her as Kendall is for his siblings. Um, and that's why she uh, she uh, turns Logan down. Yeah, and just speaking of succession language corner, it was interesting that Logan, um, when he's furious at at Rhea's exit, called her Little Miss Prim, um, which is exactly what he calls his brother Ewan in the Thanksgiving episode when they are um, sort of, you know, laying their their baggage on the table. Um, It's just an interesting, you know, uh, term that that I I was glad to see reprised um, because I think it... Um, you know, it embodies something that um, that Logan, you know, just despises a sort of his a perceived weakness that he sees in others. But what's really sort of, um, you know, more likely somebody, you know, having some conviction. Yeah. So talking of so in that Tarkin. I was just going to say in that final scene, I don't know if we were, were you about to go to the um, next week? Yeah, potential yeah, stuff? yeah. Okay, well, just briefly, I wanted to say, you know, that he and Shiv are watching uh, the takedown on ATN and we hear, um, I think this could be foreshadowing or a miscue, but, we, you know, um, Logan does say to Shiv, I'm afraid this Kendall stuff won't play time for a blood sacrifice and right after he says that the um woman uh pundit says on eight on atn something about how kendall roy knocks it out of the park so i thought Mm -hmm. it was very interesting that it was couched his blood sacrifice comment was couched in kendall um especially it was more ominous the second time after he says it's time for a blood sacrifice and then we hear ATN and it saying Kendall and I was like oof yeah on that on that uh since you brought it up I just want to say that that scene introduces it scene begins with her talking about how Kendall served Congress reality pie yep which is another example of (laughs) like you know there's not an actual reality it's like these people determine (laughs) what real is and they project it onto the world and they insist on it and then that's what's reality right yeah, Brendan, I'm glad you brought up these uh, this reality stuff. I think we talked about it a little bit in episode two of this season, and I kind of maybe incorrectly, but talked a little bit about Trumpism and how that may have affected kind of the sense of realness or unrealness for this season. Absolutely. Probably, yeah. yeah. 
So, anyways, it's it's an it's an interesting kind of dynamic that they have throughout the season, and so I'm glad you brought it back up. And yeah, next week, Br- Brendan, <laughs> what you got? Well, I mean, I, I what something that sprang into my mind was just um, uh, the way that the um, the in the last season of Mad Men all those episodes end with like, you know, the camera pulling back from Dawn, like Dawn at the middle of the frame and, um, you know, shrinking towards a vanishing point. Um, and I'm not sure what made me think of that, but, uh, there's this pattern in the last few episodes of this season where, as we've talked about, there's this theme of, you know, corporate feminism, you know, the women's role in this world. And in this episode, you know, Rhea walks away from Logan at the end in episode eight, it's Marsha who walks away. In episode seven, um, Caroline, you know, abandons Kendall in his moment of need. And in episode six, you know, it's Nan who drives away from a furious Logan. So there's this this consistent pattern. And in the episode before that, in episode five, um, it ends on that great shot that mirrors the opening credits of Shiv watching uh, Logan's back recede up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this, this, this theme of the women in this world, you know, stepping away. And, uh, to me, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what that force, what that foretells, if there's going to be, you know, a sort of closing of that loop. But to me, it, it doesn't look good for, uh, you know, Shiv's, uh, you know, relationship with her father, um, which would seem to indicate that I think, you know, Tom is the one on the chopping block. Which would, uh, uh, you know, mean that Shiv has to make a decision. I just love that inside of yours, Brendan. I, I didn't pick up on it and just want to gush about you in, the, in regards <laughs> to that for, for a second. I mean, really glad you picked up on that. But um, no, I, I yeah, I, I feel like Tom um, definitely seems like he might be the one um, to go um but i wonder if that's a miscue again the writers are like mm-hmm. have gotten so good this season especially um with just kind of like misdirecting or not even misdirecting sometimes but just again like what's real so i don't i don't know but it feels yeah. like <laughs> i have no idea i mean they're so good at keeping us on our toes like i couldn't even formulate a theory about the finale i mean i really just have no fucking yeah. clue but greg I mean, was named in the hearing so that has to amount mm-hmm. to something but i don't know but greg's not well, a greg's I, not a big fish though true but, and i also think that greg has stuff that he's willing to play because i think he does know about kendall's manslaughter um and of course the paperwork but anyways i i i, I i'm not so sure about gregory um yeah. Next Sorry, week looks Brandon. like a thick of it special to me where it's like it's like the spinners and losers where they're all scrambling to be not the one on the bottom at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel I You're feel like right. I feel like it's a very classic TV style cliffhanger where it's like somebody's going home next week. Um, but you know, it's like I, I feel like it's probably a, yeah. probably a red herring, you know, because of course mm-hmm. we know that like even if Tom or sh- is out of the company, you know, he's not going to be out of the show. Um, right. So I feel like there's some kind of fight coming. 
Um, you know, especially as, you know, the teaser has, uh, you know, one of the shareholders on the phone with Logan saying, it's like, well, we feel like you should be the one to go. Um, so I feel like, you know, something, yeah. I feel, I feel like there's and a, Kendall I feel, crying. I feel like there is a curveball, right? Like we don't really yeah. want to see these people outside of the company. To me, I feel like the whole season has been heading towards a, yes, a decisive break in Logan and Shiv's relationship because this whole thing can't end well. Um, but B, also, it's also been leading towards the company being taken out of family hands. Like, I think Stewie and Sandy have to win. It's just, right. Every, yeah, we every, have everything to figure out what's going on with Stewie and Sandy. They could be the one behind Weisel. It could be Uncle Ewan. Um, but, yeah, these these are threads that, not, that have not been tied up. And I know also the biography, um, which I think in Bill's threat, there's a subtle sort of um, reference to that. I'm sure he's been approached by... Mrs. Pantsel, um, or at least will be, <laughs> given given the uh, given the current events. But yeah, that biography uh, hasn't been talked about in a while, and hopefully, yeah. you know, we'll get there's something a, on it. There's a number of balls yeah, in the air. The show's really good at you know just like kind of keeping things, you know, hanging over everybody's head that could come crashing down at any moment. But I think that you know this episode was really about um, you know wanting to preserve this world that they built and trying to you know fortify the walls and it feeling like there has to be some kind of compromise made with the new reality that they're in right the Mm -hmm. the world cannot the world cannot go on as it as it has for for decades The, the the lester world cannot continue some sort of compromise has to be struck so something in the nature of their power balance has to change um, but oh, I don't know exactly what that is. There's so much in the air, and it is hard to know what's true. But I like the uh, the way you've teased out this idea of like of uh, Shiv as like a Michael Corleone as like or sort of you know returning to the fold and taking over or whatever. So I do think I do worry for Tom. <laughs> we'll see. And we've and also the foreshadowing this week with Tom is like entirely you know do we see him again after he has that freakout scene and apologizes for it? No. Mm-mm. So, she offers him no support that we're able to see. And and before so he goes out there, like he's going out to like do this hearing, and he's so nervous about it. And she's like on her phone the whole time until he's like, leaving the door. Oh, there's that terrifying, that terrifying open-eyed peck on the lips. It's yeah. just completely <laughs> yes. cold. It's oh, it's just I, I like I like shuddered. It was awful. She's like, she's playing the part so well. She loves this stuff. Yeah. I think that Tom gets fired and next season he is uh, he's made the Bill Shine pivot and he's comms director in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Throw that one out well, there and- to the universe. Interesting. Happy yeah, to see I'm- Roman survived. Yeah. I, well, I hope we see that. Roman might ascend. Marsha, we don't know what's going on with her. Yeah, she hasn't yeah. appeared in this episode at all. Which... I mean, she was clearly very angry at the end of Dundee, and I'm sure doesn't want to offer any emotional support to Logan. I don't blame her. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Marsha is so mysterious that I do wonder if, you know, like we said, that old joke that might not be a joke about um, uh, Marsha being his Middle Eastern operation, um, right. you know, could mm. have some implication mm. for what uh, for the deal they're involved in now. Yeah, maybe she well, fucks him it, over. Amir knows about... I know he's doing. He knows about Kendall, yeah. But he knows about Kendall, right? Yeah. Which is also, 
you know, yeah. some leverage. Yeah. Yeah, Marsha and yeah. Adobe too. Yeah. Who? Um, Marsha's son. Marsha's son. Oh, from the previous, yeah, right, yeah. Right. And I don't know if the show is going to do it, but my understanding is each season kind of takes on one kid. Um, and I know we'd kind of m- mentioned this in chatting earlier, but it seemed like some of the Roman stuff was earlier on in the episode was decent setup for season three. I mean, if they still have the company, so that's another. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Maybe they maybe they sell the company and uh, they fire everybody except Roman. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. That'd be a great season three. Yeah, more Stewie. Yeah, it definitely feels oh, like. Getting involved with the with Edward and his family is like this is our first taste of that. So I, I feel like uh, season three might be more serious in that regard. Yeah, we might be seeing more, you know, I don't know, violence. I would love to see them get involved with like yeah, like the Malaysia uh, development fund uh, <laughs> with just the, the 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 billionaire sovereign uh, sovereign wealth fund grift. Um, that would be great fodder for a series. Uh, does anybody want to put odds on some on some actual act of violence occurring as people keep insisting is going to happen? Um, it's it, it reminds me like on Mad Men how everybody thought that somebody was actually going to jump off a skyscraper like in the opening credits. Um, I was like, no, they're not going to do that. Um, but I mean, yeah, I like suicidal ideation. You know, is a big theme of the show, and mm-hmm. um, you know, there's several characters who are uh, going through it. So. Um, Right, and we know but, the title of the final episode is pulled from that same oh. poem. Yeah, um, this is not for tears from the John mm-hmm. Berryman poem. Yeah. Oh my God! So, mm. I, and I know I said, I know I said this talking over you, Brendan, but so I apologize. But Kendall is crying, and what we see for the next app. I mean, something happens with Kendall and and the accident and a confession. Yeah, yeah. I think so something i mean sure. i know or maybe he tells naomi Ni- yeah someone. that was my my prediction a few yeah. episodes ago that he ends up telling naomi so i'll put odds on that that's not anything violence r- related Ooh, but dang. that's one thing that i'll that i'll um i'll commit to i'm not putting odds on anything with these <laughs> with these guys yeah, yeah i like, to be, mean, right. I like to be right too much too badly <laughs> Like, you couldn't have predicted the season one finale going into it so oh, much. Oh, God, no, yeah. Maybe some of the, you know, currents, but not the... Right, the Once you know the ketamine, I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, time to wrap things up. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for joining the show. It was an absolute delight to talk to you. Um, where you can Where can our uh, our listeners find you online? Um, I'm at Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash bnowalk, B-N-O-W-A-L-K. And that's kind of it right now. I think so. <laughs> All right. Really appreciate you having on. Yeah, thank you so much. Wait, I don't. Thank you so much. I think much. I scrambled words, but yeah. <laughs> Great cast. All right, folks. Well, we'll be back next week uh, for the succession finale, I guess. And then uh, we'll figure out what's going to happen next. But uh, that will not be the end of Roycast, fear not. Um, So uh, (laughs) until then, uh, we'll uh, be here uh, to talk succession with you online. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You must think my bed's a bus stop. The way. See
Cause now that